0: Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard.
1: Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of divorce redefined. I am so honored to be here every week with you and as part of voice America's empowerment channel. And I'm so grateful to those of you who have tuned in every week. And whether it be here on the live show or over on the podcast, I wouldn't be doing this without all of you. Also, if this is your first time tuning in, I'm so glad you're here. On this show every week, if you haven't joined us before, we dig deep into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about, a topic highly stigmatized in our society, and a topic that even triggers those of us who have gone through it and are well on the other side, and that is a topic of divorce. If you've been following me for a while and listening to my show, you will know how passionate I am about changing the experience of divorce, because I believe that changing the experience of divorce is a movement and you don't have to be going through divorce to be supportive of this movement. I truly believe that if we can get more education, more resources and better professionals in front of all of those of you out there who are going through hard times like divorce and try to navigate it in a better and different way together, the entire foundation Of our marriages and our relationships can start to change. So, I have created this space for you a non judgmental, safe space for you to learn, to grow, be vulnerable, feel connected, allow yourself to get really messy, and above all, feel like you're not alone. So here we have hard conversations, and we are all on this journey together of bettering ourselves and supporting each other while we're doing it. So today, not only are we going to be talking about the uncomfortable conversation of divorce, but we're also going to be digging into money. There's a common misconception out there that women siphon off the wealth of their exes and go on and live in the lap of luxury post-divorce. And while you might see this in movies and hear the one-offs every now and then, on a global scale, this presumption is just simply not true. Despite the common perception that women make out better than men in divorce, women who worked before, during, or after their marriages actually see a 20% decline in income when their marriages end. Well, divorcing men, and hold on for this for a second, divorcing men typically see an increase in their earnings by about 30% post-divorce. So as you can see, this is a massive problem. And on top of that, divorce alone can pose a serious financial burden. The cost of divorce varies anywhere from $8,000 to well over hundreds of thousands of dollars, especially if one spouse is hell-bent on having a third party decide their future, or they're still seeking emotional justice, thinking they're going to find that in court. So, an accurate average of actually how much is spent on divorce is a little hard to nail down, but estimates usually fall within about $15,000 to $50,000. And this really all depends on how amicable and cooperative and transparent one can be. So, the more transparent, the more cooperative, the more compassionate you are with each other, the less your divorce is going to cost. It's that simple. The reality is these financial burdens tend to fall disproportionately on women and even before initiating divorce, it is so important that women know their net worth as a couple and can quantify joint and separate expenses. Women who stay in the dark financially during their marriage will find life after divorce a little more difficult than it has to be. I was one of these women. I was completely kept in the dark with the finances in my marriage. And it wasn't that I didn't try, I just simply wasn't allowed. But it's more common than not, especially in my generation of women, you know, pushing their late 40s who enjoyed wealthy lifestyles, we advocated to our husbands all the financial responsibilities, such as earning money, managing the household bills and investments. I mean, I certainly did. And women today, though, are also living longer than ever. So it's critical for us to get educated about investing even before leaving your marriage. So today, let's dig into this. And I'd like to introduce you to a very special guest. She is joining us from Zurich, Switzerland. She's spent 25 years, over 25 years actually, managing money for some of the wealthiest families in the world. Over time, she realized the major disadvantages to women were due to Wall Street's failure to address their needs, hear their opinions, and include them in major wealth decisions. As the Wealth Alchemist founder and Shot Caller podcast host, Shannon's mission is to enable women and their families to invest. Invest in a wealthy, purposeful, beautiful life by sharing her transformative formula of inspiration, education, and innovation. Shannon believes that when women thrive economically, their communities will thrive as well. So welcome to the show, Shannon Sagawa. How do I say your last name again? yeah Sagawa. Sagawa. Okay. I've been practicing that so, what, so much and I literally just lost it. It
2: happens to me all <laughs> the time. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very
1: excited to talk to uh, you and everybody listening. Yes. Thank you, Shannon. And thank you for taking the time all the way over in Europe to join us here in North America, live on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure.
2: I'm I'm from Portland, Oregon, by the way. So I'm a West Coast girl, Pacific oh, so Northwest girl.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so your your roots are here. Your heart's my here. <laughs> roots are there. Yes, exactly. So let's tell us a bit more about what you do and what you specialize in, because you have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and expertise in one the area of money, and most specifically the area of empowering women with their money.
2: Yeah. You know, I think. Maybe it's, it's helpful to just give a little bit of background of how I sort of got into, Yes. at the time it was called stockbroking, right? We were, it wasn't this wealth management financial advisor, which is a little bit more cachet to it. And uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got through university. And I saw an ad for a stockbroker assistant with a LA brokerage firm. And I said, I called him and I said, well, can I... Interview for a stockbroker training position because I really don't want to be an assistant. <laughs> and they nice. said, sure, come on, Just come on down. So, first of all, lesson one is ask for things. Even if mm. someone says no, it doesn't hurt to say, hey, you know, I, I'm interested in this position. And then I was trained really, and I kid you not, in the Wolf of Wall Street style. Right? Wow. That movie, in fact, some of the guys that were not arrested from Stratton Oakmont went to the West coast and, and helped start this firm. No of course, way. I didn't know any of that at the time there was no Google. So I'm dating myself. Right, right. But <laughs> yeah. think, You know, now you really, you know, you kind of have the, the, um, broker check. You can check your broker online with the SEC and see if they've got complaints against them or if it's been fined and things like that. So those things have come a long ways, but anyway, But the experience was really good. I was thrown in the deep end. I had to cold call people basically eight hours a day. And the bottom line is that they were almost always men. Mm -hmm. And I developed a uh, subconscious belief You know, it's it's not in the frontal cortex. It's not that I was consciously thinking about it. It's just like, well, I'm 23 years old, 22 years old, and apparently this is how it works. Mm -hmm. And so, it just slowly just developed this this tendency to only go after male clients, and even in meetings with with spouses, mostly address the male. countercard. Because the money was very male dominated, right? They made the decisions. It's the reality of the situation. I'm not saying it's okay. And I'm not saying that I I, I wish I would have kind of come to my senses earlier, but we weren't encouraged to either. And it it was my experience and it is still my experience. And it's not a bad thing. Women take longer to make a decision. Mm -hmm. And in the short-term world that we live in, um, people don't want to wait around for that. True. The upside to that is that women will give many more referrals when they're happy, right? Mm-hmm. They'll also tell a lot of people when they're not happy, so you have to be careful <laughs> with that. Um, and they, you know, they they are loyal, and they don't necessarily leave a bank or a investment manager because of just strictly on a performance level, whereas men will more way more likely to leave oh, you know I didn't perform here let me go see what's if the grass is greener on the other side right so that that kind of is just the history of of, of that and then kind of over time I, well I always found it important to establish a relationship with the with the spouse because over time you do have experiences where a client dies tragically um you know I had this I was thinking about this the other day one of my earlier clients when I moved from the LA office up to Portland was a guy in real estate and he had a bit of a stock portfolio. He was generally a really nice jovial guy and he got brain cancer Mm. and it was awful. I mean, he was, he was not that much older than me at the time, but he was probably 30. I was 23 or something. And, um, as it really became clear, he wasn't going to survive. He, you know, introduced me to his wife and, I remember meeting her after he passed, and she was so ill-equipped. And she, and in the end, her father took over the account, liquidated everything, and I don't know what happened to the to the money from
1: there. Yeah. And so that was so, kind of just, an, yeah, yeah. And so all these things can happen when you're not involved in those conversations, yeah, and being involved in those investment conversations, which happens a lot in marriages. Yes
2: and and you know I mean I can I can share some statistics with you if you want around um, female financial abdication uh that yeah,
1: was first done. of just, all yeah no, first yeah, of all how about, let's go into what then changed that your path to really focus on women and how did you discover that women were sort of left out of this of this big part of the world because if you watch that movie women are not really in that room <laughs> no i mean you know i think over time
2: i just slowly started to increase my exposure and go after more women uh because i thought you know, what, what am I doing? I'm a woman. I kind of understand this, Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't with gusto. It was like, oh, you know, maybe I need to be more pragmatic about this. And then when I went kind of back into banking in Switzerland, it was just a completely different ballgame. I, uh, just a completely, so I worked for Citigroup for 14 years. Then I went into venture capital fundraising, which was an American firm with a London office. And then we moved to Switzerland just for personal reasons. My husband's from Germany. And then I went back into banking, eventually domestic you know, from the Swiss market covering the UK. And um, I started to work with a lot more female entrepreneurs. I was really getting excited about, um, yeah, just a lot of opportunities there. And uh, kind of cord- one of the reasons I joined actually UBS is because they had launched a um, kind of a, a program specifically towards women. They were, they were really advertising and marketing for um, increasing Empowerment for women. And I even met with the woman who was kind of working on that prior. I said, look, is this really something they're doing, or is this kind of a a headline? And she said, well, look, yes, it is definitely something we're doing. We have a team that we're really trying to push the needle, but at the end of the day, it's still a big bank. So is everybody embracing it? No, but there's a core group of people that are really, really driving it forward. So I became an ambassador on that program, Uh, really started to get into uh, the numbers, the uh, female financial abdication, something quantitative, whereas before- I didn't know those numbers. I instinctively kind of, they, they weren't a surprise to me, although some of them were. Mm-hmm. And so I have to credit UBS in that respect that they, they really did allow this team to go out there and they did a big survey of 3000 women and they captured a lot of really striking material, but, and here's the caveat. When you go down to the front line and the people on the, you know, in the trenches actually re- responsible for bringing the money in Mm -hmm. the direct reports and the colleagues around you, they're like, whatever, Mm. that's not my deal. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on the men and the average book Mm. age was a 67 year old white man. Right. In our desk. And oh, wow. so people don't, yet; they don't want to, and is part of it is compensation, you know, you are under huge pressure to bring in assets. Mm-hmm. So if the bank is saying, bring in, bring in more women assets, because, you know, they're going to inherit a bunch of that, the, the as you said, women, live longer, mm-hmm. about five years longer on average in America. It used to be eight. So we need to take mm-hmm. better care of ourselves and mm-hmm. increase that gap a little mm-hmm. bit more, but they're compensated for bringing in assets and it's aggressive. So if you're, if you know, you can get the assets of a man in quicker, you, you're, you're like, I don't, I don't care. I, right. I can't, I can't meet my targets that way. So there's a, there's a, there's a gap in incentives. And it's not like that at every firm, but that was just my experience. So Um, really once I, once you do get those numbers, once you're in this business and then you're like, oh, hell no, we can't, you know, we we can't, I can't let that continue to happen. And then you see all of the knock-on effects of what happens in societies and economies when women are not part of the financial system. Mm -hmm. And it takes it to a whole nother level of, you know, activism, uh, voting, um, you know, uh, let's say promoting, um, someone for, to run for Senate or house of representatives, you know, there's, there's the wealthiest people in your country and in my country are able to write big checks and they tend to be men. Yeah. And so women's
1: policy issues that affect women are are not at the top of the list. Yeah, it's pretty sad to, to when you think of it that way, and on the very foundational level, that the wealth makes someone seem more important, that their voice is stronger, that they have you know more of a say when they ha- have more wealth, you know, and and we need to start you know, this at a younger age, Mm -hmm. even for women. And I love that you, you're really all about that too. It's like, how do we get this information? Cause it's one thing to try to change the world as it is right now. And we, as women can really start by, by, contributing to the society, really building ourselves up. But what do we do to change the way that our children come through this? And that financial literacy piece, you know, that's not taught in schools. We don't know this as kids. And unless your parents really teach you, you don't typically know i mean i i don't know i'm totally generalizing it i'm only giving you my experience but i find that when you're a child of a wealthy family you don't know anything as an adult with money you don't know how to budget you don't really understand what it took to to earn the money that you are now spending as an adult child of your parents and you you tend to have this almost um you know, where you're entitled to expectation that it's always going to be there. Yes. Right. And so this knowledge is very, very basic. Like they're not even, you know, they're not even opening bank accounts for their children or, you know, their children, little children have like checking accounts and not nothing else. Like it doesn't make sense to me sometimes how, how the ones who are making all the money don't have the financial literacy tools to teach their children. Oh, it's, it's so frustrating. I mean, I love to, to, I do courses
2: and, um, recently even did one in my house because after the COVID, um, rules came off a little bit and I love it so much, but that's just pure joy when I see people getting something, but the the real truth of the matter is that we won't change or improve female financial inclusion unless we start with young women. We We have got to get to them young. And as parents, as mothers, even if you can't or don't feel confident enough to teach it or to explain it, you can still talk about it. You can still say, look, I didn't get this explained to me when, as when I was growing up and I now am in, um, kind of following the footsteps of my mom and it's not an education thing. That's another thing. It's really important. Women with PhDs, women, uh, engineers, uh, architects, doctors, if you, if your mother did not get involved in investing, if you didn't hear the conversations with between your parents, if, if you were come from a two parent household household. Um, you again, a subconscious or unconscious bias that men are just
1: better, better at it, mm-hmm. which is bollocks. I mean, yeah. Or it's that, uh, or they're, they're responsible for it, right? Mom doesn't or they're responsible True. It's just the, yes. the dad does the dad does yes. the money thing, but mom doesn't do that. Exactly. <laughs> And, you know, that's so, so we just
2: develop all of these really, um, yeah, just, they don't help us. They don't serve us and they create vulnerability all the way down until you see someone going through divorce or a spouse passes away or um, somebody, even the spouse might lose their job, you know, big, big upheaval, financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So uh, getting to them young and this, the most exciting thing about that is that. Imagine a life when you start investing at 16 or something like that, and at 30, you want You say to yourself, you know what, um, I've got a million bucks in the bank, and I want to be a wildlife photographer for a year. Or, you know what, I want to quit my job. I thought I wanted to be an attorney, but I hate it. I want to be full-time with my children for the next five years. Like, mm-hmm. whatever it is, the earlier that you start investing, you the less actually clever you have to be <laughs> the most important thing is time yeah, it's really buying your time freedom. is your biggest factor it's not that you picked amazon over you know forward. I mean, you know, it's time in the market. And of course you, you, you need, you need the fundamentals of investing, um, and making a solid, you know, kind of portfolio, but it's nowhere near as complicated as people think it is.
1: Yeah. And it it is it, scary. Like I remember going, yeah. I was a teacher, um, in my first career. And I remember sitting around a table with a bunch of other teachers and we're like, how are we going to make more money? Because there's such a ceiling yeah. on teaching. Right. And how are we ever going to be able to, you know, feel like We're doing better in our life. And so we we actually created this little group called the Women's Financial Group. We called it WIGS, which or women investment group, which called it WIGs, which was really fun. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. And we just brought in a guest speaker, you know, every month who would who would educate us on part of the financial world. So we brought a financial advisor in on the first time. And I think a lot of us were still, were still with him for years and years and years after that conversation, because we really felt okay, empowered. We had some knowledge, we had some education and then we brought people other people in along the way to learn. But I even felt like at that point, It still wasn't, you know, enough to really get a lot from then we all started stopping and going off to have kids. And it was great to have a little bit of a jump start. but it's so important to have it early because I think our parents don't have these conversations with us because they feel like it's over our head. And a lot of times it is, but there are ways that we can present this information that's a bit more at their level that it's like, let's, let's take off these small little bite sized pieces that you can understand and at least start to get involved with. So I love that, you know, you focus on the younger investor, because let's bring it down to their level, because they're completely capable, especially if you're a teenager, and you have a job, you know, yeah, putting that money away. They're smarter than you think. I mean, my teen academy
2: always—I uh, do, you know—a a teen teen course, and I'm always so pleasantly surprised with how much they know. And, and it may not be specifically about how a stock works, but what they're what they're listening to. And I, I have—they always have to go pick a stock and do a little bit of an analysis. Oh, you know, from one day to the next, it's a homework assignment and they have to go um, also look at the prices. So we do talk about inflation a lot because it's something I think people miss out on is why inflation investing is so much important because of inflation, because you you need money to pay for the things in the future. Mm-hmm. And if your portfolio is not growing faster than the cost of living, which right now Everybody understands inflation today, right? In this moment in time, gas prices, food prices, um, the cost of higher education – everything is going up and that's, that is eroding anything you have in cash. It's you're losing money. And so the inflation bit is I really drive that home. But some of these kids say, they, they know about Tesla. They know, um, you know, they, they really are clued in and it's quite, it's quite cool to, to see how quickly, you know, you can, you can,
1: you can spark light a spark. Yeah. Like I love it. Yeah. And it seems to be a bit more natural, you know, for for younger men, younger boys. Mm-hmm. But I love to be able to support younger, you know, women in this because I feel too. As I always look at big picture, and I always am like a long, like down the road type of thinker. And I look at okay, if all of these younger women can get really empowered and financially literate when they're younger, to be able to do a lot with the with the earnings that they make before they've got a family. Imagine also what they can contribute to their marriage, even in terms of a conversational level, in terms of a teamwork powered level where there is no power imbalance because I've come with this amount of, of money, this investment, I understand the ins and outs. And although maybe I'm taking some time off now to be with a family, I still want to be involved in these conversations because, well, if you're married, it's every, it's your every right to be part yes. of that. Right. And yeah. to be able to feel more empowered in that than scared. Because a lot of times, I mean, more times than anything, one of the biggest reasons that women don't leave unhappy marriages is because of that financial darkness. They don't, they're disenfranchised. They have no idea what they even have as a family. They do not know, you know, their assets, their debts, what they're even worth as a couple. And so that, you know, right there starts at a really young age. I mean, looking back, of course, we all think, oh God, I wish we did that a long time ago. <laughs>
2: oh, I know. I know. I know. I, you know, and I, I know these things. And I think that's why I'm passionate about getting young women into this conversation. And I, I post on LinkedIn all the time. I say, please talk to your daughters about this. You know, boys come to my courses as well. I'm, i I have two boys myself. I'm, I'm you know, pro boy as well as I'm pro girl, but we just, the statistics bear out that women are not in charge in this space. And we have to change that because I just think the world could be such an amazing place. You know, 4% of female founders get funded within the venture capital community, 4%, less than 4%, and something like less than 1% of minority women, mostly black women get funded who go out and look for venture capital funds. So, if you think about if you're investing young and and you're thirty, and a friend of yours or someone you know is got some very cool idea, um, you, all of a sudden you're in a position to say, yeah, I'll give you a little a little mm-hmm. seed money. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course. The caveat is that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You don't give all your net worth to one idea, but you can see that again, it's a, you're lighting a spark and, and it grows And time is your best friend. So mm-hmm. the more time in the market, the more assured you are, your returns. And like I said, the less clever you actually have to be, you don't have to be data rating and, or anything. Not that you should
1: do that anyway, but yeah, but so was, I'm very passionate. I really want young girls in, I love in, to get involved. That is so, that is so great. And, and just before we go to commercial break, what would you say are your, let's say top three tips for young girls and boys to start doing right now in their teenage years to get this process started? Yeah. So first of all, one of the things, and this is actually for any age and any
2: age person, but women, I think particularly, look at where your friends are spending money. Look at where those around you are spending money and see if there's an investment opportunity that relates to that. I use Lululemon as an example. Lululemon has been a phenomenal stock to own. Now, again, I'm not suggesting people start out picking stocks. You know, I like ETFs and exchange traded funds. But um, secondly, is to get informed, take a class, uh, start read a book, and um, and the third thing is in, tell your parents, insist that they open an account that you can be part of. And Maybe you have to do it a joint account. These UGMA accounts are great, but they don't give you any kind of experience. You just pick a fund and it sits there and grows. So if there's some way that your parents can help you pick out a stock to buy, just with a small amount of money, you know, just for the experience of it, that you
1: you've got skin in the game. So those would be my, my quick three. Yeah. Those are so awesome. And it'd be so much fun. I mean, what a bonding thing for you and your child to do too, right? Yeah. I love that. So right before we head to the break, I want to send you on over to Shannon's Instagram. She's at the wealth alchemist or check out her website, thewealthyalchemist.com. And she also has an awesome podcast called shot collar and you <laughs> could access that right from her website. So we look forward to continuing this conversation and we'll be right back.
0: listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. If you have a question for Cindy or her guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Here is Cindy Stibbard.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Divorce Redefined. I am your host, Cindy Stibbard. And on this show today, we are digging deep into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about. Actually, two topics we might feel uncomfortable about. That's divorce and money. And today, joining me on the show is Shannon S-Saga- Sagava. See, I always mess Perfect. That up. Perfect, you did it. Oh, that was sorry. good. Sagava, Sagava. Yeah, no, it's spelled so differently than I just it go all phonetically. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> well, Shannon is the founder of the Welk Alchemist and the Shot Caller podcast, and we have been talking about ways to begin your financial literacy at a really at a younger age, so that it can really change the long term trajectory of your your financial future. And it does start early, not that it's too late to start later, but you can really make such a difference by starting your financial moves, I guess you can say at a younger age. And we were just talking about amazing tips on what you can do with your kids right now to kind of get that process started. And Shannon, what else would you say that parents could do to initiate that, take First of all, taking a course from you would be really yes, good. Yes, of
2: course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I work in multiple time zones. Um, you know, I, I I do love it. Actually, the teen course came about because of COVID. All of us had kids at home and we're all going crazy. And I thought, well, maybe I should try doing a teen course for some of the friends, you know, uh, children of my friends. And and it just took off from there. It was, it's just so much fun. But um, yeah, so uh, first of all, discuss what's happening with, with your kids, Um, you know, obviously age appropriate Uh, the federal reserve raised interest rates, 25 basis points uh, today. And, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. In fact, my son surprisingly came to me today and said, so you had to borrow money for this house, right? And he was asking me <laughs> questions about, and you have to pay that monthly, right? And uh, how long do you have to pay that off for? So I was like, I was like, oh, wow, somebody's paying attention. So you can talk to them about what does that mean? If you have a credit card, uh, now the cost of debt will, you know, there'll be a trickle down effect. Um, if you want to go borrow money from a bank to buy a home, the price, you know, the, the cost of borrowing that money is going to go up a little bit. So, you can just take little, little pieces of the things that you're t- maybe talking about at work or with friends and say, well, why don't we just have a little chat about at the dinner table around that?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and it's so do important it,
2: like, once a week, you can like, you know, how we have meatless Mondays you could do, you know, I was like,
1: Wealthy Wednesdays. <laughs> <They're>,
2: <laughs> yeah, there perfect. <laughs> Wealthy Wednesdays. Like I'm all about the systems. Take, take the brain energy out of it. So you don't like have to come up with something, you know, every week, like, oh no, what am I going to do? No. Wealthy Wednesdays open up the news, like Yahoo finance, whatever's on the front page, go, Oh, let's talk about that at dinner. <laughs> yeah.
1: And everyone can learn. And you don't have to be an expert right away to learn together. Right. This is all a process. God, no. No, yeah. no,
2: no, 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 no. And you know, so much more than you think you do. Like I said, when you look around you, what are people buying? Oh, iPhones, right? Two thousand eight. I mean, that didn't take a genius to to think, well, every, every bloody person I know is buying this iPhone, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. might
2: that be a good investment? And Apple had, of course, a good history, good, you know, kind of well, well well-built firm. So you, you know, more than you think you do. We just, you just need to filter it down. And, um, you know, on the topic of action items, the wealth management industry. And I would be curious to know if the guy that you worked with, did he work with you at all on the education piece or he was just sort of a trusted advisor and brought you information or suggestions and you guys kind
1: of implemented them? it was pretty much on the education piece and then you know none of us had had advisors at the time financial advisors but then we ended up choosing to work with him because he was really teaching us about you know all the vocabulary around it all the language and as a woman you know you're not always in these conversations and so we're trying to figure out like what are the best ways to invest and and what what is the stock market and how does that work and so he you know i think we had about 6 or 8 of us at the time and so he would come and really do these educational sessions with us and at So important for women. And I want to go back to what you said earlier about women take longer to make a decision because it really sparked a memory in me about that financial group that I had. We were all actually looking to invest in a stock at the time. I mean, I was in my early thirties and Apple was $80 a share. And we were like, should we, should we not? Oh my gosh, it's just gone up to 86. Oh my gosh, this is going to be like too crazy. We can't, I don't know how it's going to work. God damn, right? Had (laughs) had we done it, it would have been like such an amazing opportunity. But because I don't know if it's the way that we're wired, we want to think things through. But in that type of scenario, especially when you're dealing with stocks, sometimes you can't think it through longer than making that informed decision right then and there.
2: Yeah, it's it's it really comes down to a lack of confidence. And one thing I think that we forget about is that there's something called sort of dollar cost averaging. And so as a group, you could have said, okay, look, let's put half of our money into Apple today. And let's put the other half in in two months time or three months time, you know? And and it would have immediately taken a little bit of that pressure out of the pot of you guys deciding, is today the right day? What if we do it wrong? And again, that's why I go back to the secret formula, the secret sauce is time in the market. It's not Mm -hmm. timing the market. So if you just, of course- there's something different about just picking one or two stocks and letting that represent your entire portfolio. That's not, it's not the direction you go in, but that's a different topic that you guys are talking about. When mm-hmm. it comes to learning, when it comes to experiencing the first time, I actually highly recommend people pick a stock. You don't go put everything you've ever earned into one stock, but that's why take your you know, talk to your child it, you know, back to school. Back to school shopping. The average parent in America spent $350 last August per child on back to school clothes. Mm. Now you could, you could incentivize your child and say, look, I will give you the difference of what you save. If you go to a secondhand shop, if you look on, uh, you know, uh, um, eBay, or if you, you know, if you do a, a clothes swap with some friends, I'll incentivize and I'll match everything that you save. I mean, that's one quick way to kind of both teach them budgeting, but also an incentive about look, let's let's show you what that money can do.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's
2: something that I think is a really good opportunity at a time to not just think about consumerism
1: because mm-hmm. that's
2: all that we teach our children. And I think too
1: often you, you earn a bunch of money and you buy a bunch of stuff, right? That doesn't create wealth. Right. Yeah. And we you know what coming out the other end too. I'm I'm gonna, just going to connect this to divorce for a second. A lot of women in marriages who haven't been privy to how that wealth has been earned or established have created or have been enjoying this level of lifestyle. And then when they get out of di- into divorce, they really don't have, I mean, I get it. I was there. I, I understand how this works. Don't have an understanding of like what it took to fund that life lifestyle, how much Mm -hmm. money has to be made to fund that lifestyle. And is there ways also that you can do it better? Because at the other end, I mean, divorce is a massive learning curve. But one thing it does teach you, if you're open to being wise with your money is, do I really need that lifestyle that I had become accustomed to? Yes, it's beautiful. Yes, it's luxury. Yes, it's so, you know, no stress and relaxing, because nobody has to worry about where money's coming from. But at On the other end, is all of that consumerism, like you said, necessary to create my health, my healthy, happy life? And what are ways that I can invest my money as a woman who might be in my thirties, forties, fifties at this point in divorce, In a wise way so that I can start to grow my own wealth, because I also wanted to point to bring us to a fact that you talked about when I was on your podcast about the financial impact of women when they've left the workforce for a certain amount of years to raise their kids you had shared with me some really fascinating stats on that and what it takes for them to come back into the work workforce and how much, how far behind they actually are in that process and even yeah. in their earning power. Yeah, I mean, one of one of the really ugh, awful statistics is that
2: because just on the wage gap differential alone, which is stubbornly fixed around 20% between men and women for, for the same role, Again, that's an average. A woman will have to work nine years longer than a man to retire with the same amount of money. Oh my God! And so right? you need to hear that when you're thirty and when you're twenty five. I mean, you just cannot accept that, and it's just not okay. And you know, something we didn't talk about when you were on, which um, I think I, I think I looked into it afterwards, was the impact of gray divorce. Oh, yes. Divorcing in your 50s is so much more devastating financially for a w- woman than the average age is around 30, I think, uh, or maybe it's 35. Um, but gray divorce is like doubled since 1990, and gray divorce is 50 and over, which seems mm-hmm. a little bit cruel of a term. Right. <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> I think I'm, we're almost there. Uh, I think I, least, oh, I, I, am. I, am, I <laughs> am there. Just, just. But
2: um, the average, you know, you talked about the lifestyle drop for women women after divorce in gray divorce, a woman standard of living drops by 43% if she divorces over the age of 50. And if, and the man is on average about 21%. And it's because you, when you're in your fifties, your ability to make back that money is dramatically less. It's not impossible but it's less. So, and it, you know, doesn't mean you stay in a bad marriage, but just everything that you're doing, being an advocate for women, helping them prepare if they're going to go down this road to really just, you know, as uncomfortable as it might be, because you're scared and you haven't done it before to just dig in and something I, I, I like to point out is that, you know, if you do 1% better every day at the end of the year, you're 37% better. So whatever
1: change you want to make, you don't have to do it overnight. Totally baby steps. That's exactly steps. the, you know, the strategy and the method that I use to, to work with people, because it's all so overwhelming. It's like, yeah. where do I begin? So we it's need to bring, we need to break everything into small, simple steps that we can understand as we just sort of build blocks. I often just, you know, you use the Lego as an example. We're just building a block of your future and, and creating what this is going to look like. We don't need to know what the end result looks like at this point. We just need to know what the blocks are and where we're going to put them. And so for, you know, for women, I, I often say too, I'll get a lot of women that come to me on the fence. They're not ready to make that decision. They haven't, um, Women think, they think a lot, they think for years before they make any major decisions, especially like leaving a marriage. And my advice to them is when they don't know about their finances and their marriage is to have those conversations now, get involved in those conversations, get privy to it, have access to it, because not only are, is it your right, but it also is a pretty good indicator of the kind of person that you're with, whether or not you're, you know, going to be invited into these conversations and really see, okay, is this family money? Do you truly have a family perspective here or is this your money? And yeah. it's not ours because that no. you see that in divorce, all of a sudden you're divorced to a family. Now it's my money and your money. Yeah, I mean, and
2: what you're doing, I think is great because you're providing a resource for women. And so if you've got someone who's thinking about going into divorce, it's probably really advantageous for them to speak with women who have already gone through it, you know, as a support sort of system. And I think you do that. I think you have these support groups and, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's invaluable. The other thing, just I wanna give people something that they can walk away with, especially because so much of your audience is either, thinking about divorce or going through divorce is that a lot of times women will hopefully get a percentage of the retirement assets, right? And, and depending on how that gets divvied up, you're now have to figure out what, how do I invest these retirement assets? It's because, you know, they're, they're they're split to so your ex-husband or spouse, whatever, is not going to be making those decisions anymore. And one of the worst mistakes women make chronically is being too conservative, too risk averse with their retirement assets. Mm. And so I want to just encourage anybody listening to really make sure that you're in, and, and women tell me all the time, Oh, I thought I should do the reverse. I mean, I I hear it all the time. What do you mean? I that's my most that's my you know my biggest chunk of money. That's my my safe money. I can't I can't risk that. But as we know, inflation and age women are much more at risk of outliving the assets that they've got than having to ride through a bumpy market for a while.
1: Mm, Right. So it's,
2: again, women are too conservative with their long-term retirement assets. Remember, your time is your best secret weapon. Mm -hmm. So your longer-term assets, the ones that are in there for over 10 years, they need to be invested in growth of some sort. needs to be diversified. I'm not saying there shouldn't be
1: any... Fixed income or cash component, but it shouldn't overwhelm the portfolio, right? So a little bit on the more aggressive side, because I I know for myself, I was a very conservative investor until now in my life, where I realized I don't want to outlive my money, right? Yes. What can I do? It doesn't have to be aggressive. If it's well
2: diversified, you just have to, and that's another part of the education piece. You know, we, we have to talk to women, wealth managers have to tell them, you know, every, every five to seven years, you get a five to 10% correction in the market. Every 15 years, you get a, you know, 20 plus. I mean, again, these are broad averages, but if you just look at the the cycles of the market, bear markets tend to be sharp and shortish, whereas bull markets tend to be much bigger. And I've got all these charts I show to people in the in the um in the classes and I don't know, I'm a very visual learner, so I use a lot of graphs with the the women that I teach. And when you look at that and you're like, oh gosh, I see. So so it's just in the short term it can be volatile. And then you know, in then in the long term your your return is is pretty consistent.
1: Mm -hmm. And So
2: it doesn't have to be aggressive necessarily, but it does have to have a growth element to it. Not just all bonds, which are paying 3% and look at inflation's close to 8% right now. So everybody in in bonds or cash
1: is losing money. They're down on their money. Right. And so let's say a new female investor is coming to kind of try this handout and you want her to be able to start to build that wealth. What are some things that you suggest and recommend to those people that are starting? Maybe these are great divorces Maybe it's someone after divorce who's now taking their settlement money or, you know, whatever they they have now and now investing it for their future. What do you typically like to tell women in those in that situation? I think
2: one of the first things I do is look at the what's your time frame before you realistically would have to draw down on this money. And that's another thing that that people panic about. Just because you retire, let's say at 65, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to draw on your retirement at 65. So that's another... You, you need to really have that thought. When am I actually going to start taking this money out? Because you might have other assets that, that, you know, rental income, maybe you're going to sell your house in down, downgrade, you know, kids are through college. You don't have as many expenses. So now your cost of living has come down. So now you don't need to tap into that money. So first of all, what's your time horizon before you actually need to tap into it? roughly. Secondly, is you build a core asset allocation. And of course, I don't expect them to just know how to do that. But you start with, I love ETF trackers and a tracker on the S&P 500, right? This is 500 of the largest companies in America. It's going to track the economy. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be kind of in line with the economy. It's inexpensive. There's not trading going on and you're just kind of following the index. And then you can, then you can drill down from there. You can add some NASDAQ, uh, you know, like another ETF from the NASDAQ, which has got still very large companies in it, very big, well-known companies, but they're in those tech oriented sectors, which have a lot more growth to them. And so just kind of starting with some of those core basics and kind of the, the core part of the portfolio. And then as you get confident, um, again, an advisor can help with these things because there's certain assets that you should just always have in the portfolio and Mm -hmm. they grow and shrink depending on different economic environments. But um, if you're really keen to learn more, there's something called tactical investing. So you might say, and again, I have another chart. I wish I had a color copy of it. But if you, there's this quilt, an investor quilt and it shows you, you can go back 20 years, 10 years, and in each year it's color coded from the best returning asset to the least best. Mm. And you can just look at this quilt and you can just follow purple. You can have blue. It doesn't even matter what the asset is, just from a learning perspective. And you see, oh, I see they go like this. And last year's worst performer so often is the next year's top performer. Not necessarily wow. always the top, but you see the cyclicality of it and you're like, oh, I see. So that's why I have these assets diversified because some of them are going to do awesome and some of them are going to suck lemons and then mm-hmm. Together we're gonna kind of be in the middle, right. And so it, it's called the quilt of returns, and I love it because it's everybody I show it to—they're like, "Oh!" At first they go, "What the hell am I looking at?" And then I explain. <laughs> then I explain to them, just follow one color you know, for a little bit, just follow one color. And and if it's energy stocks, energy stocks were worst performing stocks the last couple of years. This year, energy stocks are
1: about the only things that did perform year to date right now. Wow. And and it's being to have that tolerance for that up and down, because that can be really scary when all of a sudden, you know, let's say you're, you're now keeping tabs on your investment portfolio balance and it's going up one day and you're like, oh, it's amazing. I'm making money. And then it's crashing another day. And you're like, holy crap, I better pull my money out of this. And and so by just not making any rash decisions and by letting it, you know, ride the waves, because that's the hardest thing. And for me, I sometimes just can't look if I know that the world is going through a hard time. I'm just like, I'm just not going to look for a while because I don't know if I want to see and, and it's not coming out anyways. So what matter? what does it make a difference, right?
2: Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't make yourself crazy, but I'll tell you what the, the most, value i added to my clients over the years was not my brilliant stock picks although I had a few mm-hmm. uh, it was stopping them from making stupid mistakes that is where I added value time and time again and and I it is stopping people from making that knee-jerk reactions that just do not serve you and again you're not I don't expect everybody to be so confident they do this on their own I mean there's a lot of sense in having financial advice and support and finding the right person. So don't think that you, you must do this on your own, but really do ask whoever you're working with, inform you, send you a report occasionally, invite you to a seminar, um, you know, try to acquire knowledge over that time period that you, you know, so that you do get more comfortable with those, those things that happen, those big geopolitical events that do unfortunately happen, like they're happening now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that it's so important to learn a bit more, also to to have those ask, ask those questions. You know, it's it's about having confidence to just say, "Hey, I don't really understand what we're talking about right now. Can we can we run through that one more time?" You know, definitely. Instead of walking out of there thinking, "Oh crap, I had no clue what what they were talking about," because lots of times yeah. in our own industry and in investor investments, and I'm going to stereotype to men for a second, is they talk at this high level, right? And you're like, "Wait a second, I don't know what you're trying to say. Can we I just know. like." You know, bring it down a little
2: bit. Wall Street needs to stop doing this. They need to train the advisors. Look at both. You can tell when somebody's eyes are glassing over. You can tell when their body language is like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know, and and say to them, please ask questions. I'm here to help you. You are paying me. You are paying me. I am here to help you get comfortable. Or we've got a seminar we do for women or young people or whatever. The banks need to be doing this. And Cindy, I know we're coming up to the end of the uh, the time. $30 trillion is going to pass from the baby boomers to um, the next generation in the next less than 10 years. That's one year of an entire GDP for America. The vast majority of this money is going to pass through woman's hands first, a wife. Wow. Right. And if it doesn't go directly to the wife because trusts or whatever, chances are, it's going to go to a daughter as well. So women are going to have a imp- tremendous opportunity to have really say about wealth in the country in the next eight years. This and I don't want anybody good. to miss that. Absolutely. That's huge. It's power.
1: It's that, is power. Power. that is power and knowledge and power it is information is power. And mm-hmm. there's so much to talk about on this subject. And I love that we're women talking about this because I want to feel that other women can also be inspired and empowered because I didn't know any of this either. I still don't know, but I'd, I'm happy to open and learn as, as I go and and grow. So Shannon, tell everybody how they can find you and learn more about what you do.
2: Yes. So I do courses and I put those up on the website. Sometimes it's tricky to find a date and a time. So I also will do requests. I try and do with four people and for a group kind of event, and we can do it in person here if you want to come to Switzerland (laughs) (laughs) or on Zoom. I do them on Zoom. Uh, But I've also just launched a three-session roadmap building. So someone can kind of, it's a coaching session. We look at where you're at. We talk about risks. So there's there's a financial education element to each session but we're, we're moving you forward. So where are you at now? Where might there be some holes or pockets or things we need to help you kind of talk through? And then- what might be your implementation path. So I'm I'm, I'm not specifically giving them financial advice, but I'm, I'm helping to put a roadmap together that they can then go to a financial advisor or an investment firm and say, okay, I'd like to start implementing this in a way that fits the goals that I've just kind of worked through. So that's wow. a three session coaching um, course. Uh, the, the Shot Caller podcast really gives you... Um, those exponential themes, I talk a lot about that. I do very fun and silly uh, TikToks as well. You do? I, <laughs> you I, do. I do. Yeah, t- I, check out your TikTok. That's amazing. Check out my TikToks. I know I humiliate myself on a regular basis because I want you <laughs> never to feel intimidated. I, I mean, if I can humiliate myself on TikTok, you guys can learn about investing. And um, the other thing I'm thinking about doing, which you tell me if you you think this is a good idea, is maybe doing sort of... um. I don't know why, but I don't like the word masterclass. I want to find another name for that. Mm. But where you start with a group of women, let's say six weeks and you meet once a week and you, you have your topic and then you have this group environment. So people don't feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're by themselves. And then over six weeks, you cover some of the key parts about investing, Investing. retirement, college education, um, risk, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking about doing something like that, a group over time, instead of just, a two, two, two day course on investment, which is, you know, full on. So I have different ways to interact basically. So I you love can check it. Out my website
1: and, and I have that, but you yeah, offer, yeah. And you offer so much. And just the fact that you're here as a, another resource to four women that are going through this, just want to learn, become more empowered because money is scary. If divorce isn't scary enough, money is just as scary sometimes, but there are people out here We are here for helping you become more empowered in your journey. So thank you so much, Shannon, for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. And we will see you here next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.